Good evening, everyone. Um, thanks very much to AUOB for organising the panel tonight and for giving me the opportunity to be here. Very few of you will recognise me or know my name. I'm not an elected politician. I'm not a representative of a, a political party. I don't write blogs and I don't do podcasts. So why am I here? I'm here because just like all of you, I want independence. I'm a Scottish woman and my voice and my vote matters. The 2014 independence movement was never meant to succeed. And the arrogance London never anticipated that we Scots would do the unthinkable and put our differences aside for the chance of independence. Despite the result, we shook the foundations of the union. As our 2021 independence movement, it's never been more crucial that we find a way to set aside our differences once again and use our collective momentum to drive our, our movement forward. It would be very easy to slip into a critique of the various factions at the heart of all our discord and animosity, but that would detract from the opportunity for like-minded folk like us to share ideas which will help to generate the positive actions that we're so well known for. Regardless of their many faults, the SNP remain the political wing of our movement, and it's up to all of us to figure out how we use them to our advantage, instead of giving them absolute control to dominate and dictate the pace that we move at. It's absolutely doable to hold the SNP to account on their policies, and traditionally we would do that at the ballot box. But to coin that phrase, now really is not the time. Whatever our feelings are about the party or its representatives, the harsh reality for independent supporters is that if we want to keep independence on the agenda, we must lend them our support one more time. Because without them, we can't progress. But without us, they cannot win. For many of us, the distinct lack of leadership and independence has left us feeling adrift. Despite their years in office, the absence of clear leadership for independence activists from the SNP has left us with little to work with. In terms of campaign strategy, timing, or anything resembling a white paper to guide activists in the electorate, none of it has been produced. So as a movement, it's time for us to take back our power. But in order to do so, we really must give the SNP another term in office to make good on their promises. But that doesn't mean that we give them free reign. As much as I support a plebiscite in the May election, I doubt Keith Brown will include such a bold act, given the release of their famous 11-point plan. We know that governments can hold plebiscites to test whether people support or oppose a proposed action. And we understand that governments are not legally bound to the results of such plebiscites. So the overall risk of failure is reduced. We're seeking people's opinions, not necessarily people's permission. If every independent supporter started emailing Keith Brown and put pressure on MPs, MSPs to demand a plebiscite, it would put pressure on the SNP. I'm still not convinced that they would deliver it in May. So we must hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. To continue to progress independence, we need to keep lending the SNP our vote in May, even if we've got to choke back a bit of bile to do it. Once they're secured for the next term, we need to ramp up our efforts to bring that pressure to bear. Instead of using social media to tear each other down, we really must utilise its reach to inform and educate, organise ourselves nationally and locally. In its essence, we need to take our power back. We need to stop fighting amongst ourselves and remember that our strength 
really does lie in a united front. Whatever policies you disagree with, whichever politicians you do dislike, it is time to put that aside and find ways to come together. Now is the time for the final push. If we can hold the line just long enough, lend the SNP or vote one more time in May, plebiscite or not, we buy ourselves time to sort ourselves out, but more importantly, we keep independence on the agenda and we buy independence time. Thank you. That was fantastic, Marion. Thank you very much. So next up, we've got Natalia, Natalia Urban. Hello, everybody, and hola to all Brazilians who are also watching tonight. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about something that is not being publicized enough here in Scotland, is that the fact that now people like me, immigrants, new Scots, are able to vote as well. After the Scottish uh, election bill has passed in 2019, uh, around 55,000 people will be granted the benefit of voting in this country. And us, as someone that also supports independence, I think we have to see these people as 55,000 possible independent supporters. And why I'm saying this is because I think that sometimes, and this is something that other people, other immigrants, other BME have talked to me about it, is that they feel that sometimes the the, the rhetoric used by some people from the indie movement is sort of alienating uh, for those who are not aware of how politics here work and how the independence would benefit people that are not uh, born and bred Scots. So I think that it's very important that we have to reach out to those people, especially because immigrants have the potential of being a, a, a game change in, 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 the, in, the, in a referendum in elections. Um, there are proven uh, results even here in Europe that immigrants have uh, gained or made parties to lose elections. So we please do not underestimate my power of vote here. Um, as someone that is from Latin America, of course, I'm super passionate about popular movements. And I think that it's one of the things that made me like a lot of the Scottish independent movement is the popular appeal. But I think that somehow um, in the last couple of years, the, the, the discourse came, is coming across some a little bit more um, upper tidy, uptidy or like not so in touch with regular people. They are not into politics. I think that it's extremely vital to connect people. Uh, once I had the opportunity to talk with uh, a, a, a trade unions leader from Nicaragua, and he told me that politics is, is made in the streets, is made with people. That's why it's vital for us to be in the streets, to be reaching out to workers, to small communities, to those who don't feel represented by those who are in power nowadays. And we have that advantage because 
I can guarantee that we won't have none of the unionist parties uh, reaching out to the immigrant community here. I work with uh, political journalism and I don't, I can remember a single time I have, I have had any union politics coming, talk to me about local politics, just like foreigner issues. So we have an advantage. Also, we have an advantage that none of these people grew up hearing the, 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 that British Empire propaganda, so they will also be more um, into hear what Scott, the, the, the people from the in Scotland independence movement, movement have to say. Uh, I just want to finishing up very quickly with a quote that I think that is something that all of those who are fighting for emancipation, that are fighting for a, a better life, I uh, have to keep in mind is that quote from Thomas Sankara, who says that our revolution is and should continue to be a collective effort of revolutionaries to transform reality, to improve the concrete situation of the masses of our country. So I think this is something we have to keep in mind. We are revolutionaries. This is our revolution and we have to do everything to keep this revolution within its principles. And its principle is to get independence. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was brilliant, love that. We'll bring in our next panelist who needs no introduction. I will ask him to unmute. It is of course the famous Grouse Beater. I liked uh, Nathalia's point of being revolutionary, but people must understand if you're going to be uh, a genuine revolutionary, you're going to outrage some people's opinions. And if you go around uh, soft footing and saying, you know, let's not insult anybody, let's make sure, you know, whatever we say, uh, keeps people happy, uh, you're not a revolutionary. Um, uh, the other point I'd like to make is that uh, if you're <clears throat> looking at me with this background here, uh, you're probably not thinking, well, that's a working class guy, but that is my origins. Um, I am, uh, don't let my uh, bourgeois appearance fool you. I'm from a uh, working class but very talented family. You can be talented and working class. <clears throat> it's not the fashion these days. The fashion these days is for uh, Etonians to be employed in the best jobs, uh, the arts and in uh, politics. Um, uh, I'm a runaway from home and I'm telling you that because I can identify with anybody in the working class. The other day when I was in bed in hospital, the man next to me, I heard weeping. Uh, he was on the telephone, lived in a tiny village uh, in the West Lothian of Edinburgh. He had no money. He had lost his firm, his wife, still has a couple of kids, uh, lost his car and was down to £2.50 and had no way of getting home. So I'm a guy who has money, but quite soon will have no need for money. 
So I gave him his taxi fare home. So let no one tell you, because you look as though you're an educated man and you can talk with educated words, that you're not working class. If we are to be revolutionaries, then that's a dynamic that will propel us forward. I am someone who chose to work on the internet because I could not get the party of power to utilize my skills properly. I decided that I would speak to as many people as possible who would care to read and care to listen about Scotland's history, uh, past and present, and uh, their hopes. And that independence wasn't an abstraction. It's about civil and constitutional rights, the things you need to actually take care of your own country to feel confident, an upright person, uh, a person who feels that they are making decisions, participating and living by those decisions, whether they're good or bad. So the SNP couldn't find a way of uh, using my skills to good effect, but I'm a member of the public. I just chose this way of doing it. I'm not a cybernat. A Tory um, coined that phrase. So I take offense when our uh, Scottish newspapers attack cybernats as if we are uh, some sort of subsect of Scottish life, um, rather like uh, the Americans uh, portrayed the uh, Vietnamese fighters in the jungle as gooks. You know, that way removes the humanity uh, from the participants. So despite what people say about the current chaos in the party and government at Holyrood, I know even people like me who are soured by what they've been doing, that we will unite in purpose the minute they or any other party says, I guarantee if you vote for me, I will aim and get independence by any route possible. Not by one route, by any route possible. And that will be my sole imperative. That's me, Gareth. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Gareth. That was brilliant. Um, next, before we bring in David Henry um, as the final panellist to, to give us some opening comments, I just want to repeat that if you're in the Zoom meeting and you want to ask your question direct to the panellists and you want um, either Susanna or myself to call you in, we will, but what we need you to do is indicate that you want to ask a question. So please type, your, type a cue in the Zoom chat with your question and put your hand up and we will call you in soon. So. Um, we will get to that section after David. So on you go, David, the floor is yours. Thank you, folks. Uh, uh, pleasure to be with you all and to have the opportunity to discuss what is a very important um, subject. Covering a couple of things that's already been said by panellists, I, I came to the idea of independence very late in life. In fact, it started in uh, 2014. So I blame everything that's happened in my life in the last seven years on um, Alex Salmond, 
if he hadn't made such a great uh, argument for independence, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be in the SNP because I had never voted for them before. So it wasn't on my radar at all. Um, it's been on my radar ever since. Uh, we do all need to come together. We do all need to stay focused on what we're trying to achieve and all the benefits that it brings. But I've been on a real uh, roller coaster, an education. Uh, I didn't go to university, but I've had a great education in the last few years. I've sat in um, on the Court of Appeal, uh, the Joanna Cherry case, and I sat and listened and took lots of notes. And it became glaringly obvious during that case that Scotland is already independent. We do not need permission from Westminster. Westminster has no input whatsoever. Uh, they, they don't have the power to stop us or grant us anything. And, and this is quite clearly the case. Uh, and yet here we are still stuck in this, if you like, uh, broken record of we somehow think we need permission from the other side to do what actually any normal nation can do. So uh, bringing you a bit more up to date, uh, you probably have known in the last day or so, I've been uh, with a group of others, we have produced um, the Manifesto for Indy. And it's not some crazy idea that hasn't got any basis in law. In fact, it's very much based on historical fact. Uh, it clearly uh, has a weight of law behind it. It complies with the claim of right. And just like um, Gareth had just said, we need a party that will be bold. History favors people that take the opportunity. No one is going to come along and just hand it to us and say, okay, you've won. And if we look at, so, so people have been asking the questions I noticed, how can we deliver that? Well, it's very simple. We get behind a manifesto. Uh, we all begin to work together. We engage with our elected officials. We contact the party that we want to support and we ensure that they deliver a manifesto that we want to support. Um, and there is no manifesto published by any of the main parties, including the SNP or the Greens or anyone else at, at this moment. So now is the time to influence the content of the manifesto, that they're going to ask you, me and everyone else to vote for them. Well, I agree. I want to vote for a party that gives me an absolute cast iron guarantee and states that the Scottish people assert that the Scottish Parliament is the only Parliament that is empowered to represent the sovereign rights of the Scottish people. If we do that, and if they deliver that, then we will be independent and be running our own affairs this year. So now's the time to get together. Obviously, I'm uh, happy to discuss if anyone has questions about this document that's out there. Uh, it wasn't written just by me. Um, and in fact, as I say, it's historically correct, legally sound. Um, we don't need to ask permission from anybody. We simply declare it that that's the party we're voting for. That's the manifesto commitment. Um, in the last 24 hours, I've sent this document to every corners of the world, uh, to the EU president, to uh, politicians in Ireland, to politicians um, in Australia. I even put a message on the White House's own website saying we need your help we want you to support us so oh it's also gone to all MSPs and all MPs so it's out there it's ready for all of us to get behind and start shaping the next manifesto and that's what I would say 
we all need to do. We all need to come together. Fortune favours the brave. Let's be brave. Let's deliver independence this year. Thank you very much, David. The first question I'd like to ask tonight is one that's came from social media. And it's actually, we, we seemingly have a plan, according to the SNP, an 11-point plan. So what is everybody's views on the 11-point plan? So if I could bring in Marion first. Um, I think if I'm being perfectly honest, my actual opinion of the 11-point plan is best kept between me and God, because uh, this is not the platform to fully express how dire I actually think it is. I think it was written in the back of a fag packet. I think it was in an emergency response to this particular panel's last event and the knowing the pressure that was going to be brought to bear at the following assembly. I think it was a dire move. I think it, it cut under... And well, not so much cut under, I think it disrespected us to a certain extent because it's a plan for a referendum. It's not a plan for independence. It says nothing about independence. It offers us no structure, no guidance in how we bring it about. It is just a bunch of words on a page that essentially says we're going to ask for permission for a Section 30, they're going to say no, and when they do, this time we'll go to court. And that is not helpful. It's not helpful to us. It's not helpful to the movement generally. Tensions are so frayed right now. People are losing hope. People are falling by the wayside. We need clarity. We need structure. We need leadership. And if we can't find it in the SNP, people are going to look elsewhere. The SNP needs to up their game. That 11-point plan is a shambles. It is a poor excuse for a party who've held power for the better part of 20 years, knowing that their sole raison d'etre is to deliver independence. They must do better. Does anybody want to come to next? I possibly could. I mean, um, I'm quite new to the SNP. I joined only in the 2014, uh, the day after the referendum, funny enough. Um, my view on this, and I've been very excited to hear some of the ideas and to go to conference for the last, what is it, six years now. Um, the, our most recent conference, we weren't really given an opportunity to discuss anything of merit. Uh, I, ob I objected to that, in fact, and had and in fact had written a resolution for transparency, which never got to conference along with lots of others. I totally understand that a po political party needs to be careful what goes out in the public domain because, it's, I mean, if anything, uh, other parties have shown in the past that if you don't control things too much, you, you end up uh, spiralling out of control. Look, look what happened to Labour, they're out of power, probably unelectable for a long time. Um, however, there, come, there is a balance here. Uh, there's plenty of people that are not elected officials. And I think the one thing that I wanted to, um, I didn't mention, but I think politics is far too important to be left to politicians. I think politicians have too many pressures on them, both public, uh, that therefore politics starts at the grassroots, which is probably why we're all here. Um, and the grassroots are, are not some second-rate members of society. Many of them come from all walks of life, have lots of experience. I have to tell you, the Manifesto for Indy, um, although we thought we had to come up with something, most of it came from other people with huge amounts of experience. Um, I was very surprised and I thought, how does this happen? 
that these people come together and they've got experience of international affairs and the constitution and others are expert on on the law. Um, so it's a, so somebody's asked, how do we do this? Well, we do it by finding the document, printing it out, reading it, contacting via email your politician, whether they're an MSP, an MP, or in whatever party they are, and tell them what you want to vote for, um, because that is what they're there for. So I agree. The 11-point plan, my view on the 11-point plan is it's a discussion document. I think it was pulled together hastily. Uh, I think it's huge flaw at the centre of it is it is asking for permission. It's asking Westminster to grant permission for us to have a referendum. And if they don't give permission, we'll go to court. Exactly what court is that? Um, and why are we asking for permission in the first place? So you're, it's quite clear. International law is very clear. Um, I'm not some radical person. So our plan says there's 10 things in there. We want international recognition immediately uh, if everybody voted for a party. And the second thing, and it wasn't my idea, um, was that we should reinstate the EU continuity bill because it's already on, on uh, it's all, the work's already been done. And the result of that would be we'd be able to go to the EU and get a protocol, which is somebody in our group has said this, and has expertise and said, yes, they will grant it, meaning our fisheries, our producers, our agriculture will have instant access to the single market, no customs paperwork, no queues of trucks. So straight away, there's an immediate benefit. This is something that can be delivered. It's not difficult. It's already, we've got the legislation sitting there. We just need to reenact it. So there's a practical step that can be done immediately and for jobs to be saved immediately. So what are we waiting for? So we, I think we've all been waiting for somebody else higher up than us to give us this plan and give us the date. Well, that hasn't happened. So it's up to us to do it. Yeah. So this panel and what we're discussing here right now is part of the process. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct on that. Gareth, do you have anything to say on the 11-point plan? Um, I liked a bit about international recognition. <clears throat> I mean, uh, Scotland is recognised uh, as a, a country worldwide. We've had so much influence with our inventions and uh, uh, our part in the British Empire. Um, so... The question that pops up in your head is international recognition. Why were we not doing anything about that in the past four years? Um, uh, your um, viewers and listeners should understand that I have the distinction of being thrown out of the SNP when not a member of the SNP. Um, and uh, I'm told that the only way they will apologize for that is if I apply reapply to become a member of the SNP. So that's how contorted they've got their bureaucracy. Um, I don't think the SNP uh, is uh, falling apart. I think it's fallen way behind the mood of the people. Uh, the first real shock I got of that was seeing Nicola Sturgeon with a big yellow bus behind her. 
uh, with, uh, you know, vote uh, to get Brexit, you know, vote no to Brexit. Uh, when it should have said vote for independence. I mean, here was a God-given uh, opportunity to capitalize on a situation where it was clear the English state were going to weaken themselves. But instead, um, our first minister and whoever advised her rushed off down to England to tell the English uh, to do it the Scottish way, which is kind of hypocritical because we're trying to tell English don't tell us how to run our country. Um, so as far as I can see, the SNP has fallen at least two years behind the mood of the people of Scotland. Um, and you have to keep in mind that the 55% who originally said no in the uh, 2014 referendum, according to the university analysis, 37% of them wanted greater powers short of full independence. So none of that was capitalized. And I have been uh, doing my best over the past few years to point out um, that the SNP are falling down. They've not been educating in any vigorous or robust way the populace on what are the benefits of independence. Here's what happened. Yeah, we could... I don't mind frightening uh, people now and again. Here is what will happen if we are not an autonomous nation. And uh, beyond that, they should have been composing a new accord so that the moment when the moment came, we wanted to um, tear up the treaty because uh, we have been lied and cheated and the treaty was broken the minute uh, England pulled the whole of the United Kingdom countries and provinces out of uh, Europe that uh, we could say, right, that's it, there is no treaty, but here is a new accord, a new relationship. We have withdrawn. We are withdrawing our MPs, same as the Irish MPs. It doesn't mean that they are redundant. The Irish MPs get to vote in, in um, uh, Westminster policies. They get to lobby. Westminster uh, politicians and, uh, and groups, um, they, uh, they don't get all the benefits, they don't get all the expenses, but nevertheless, they can still be uh, uh, a force for good if they're working from Scotland. And that's where they really ought to be because that's the first signal to the British state that we will no longer play their party games. And the next thing was, we should have said, here is the new accord. Let's negotiate on this. The treaty is dead. But no one is, um, no one is courageous enough in the current SNP to do that. When the SNP headquarters tells me, oh, Gareth will have to reapply to become a member in order for us to think about an apology, um, then you know that they have caught themselves up in the most banal bureaucracy, uh, worthless of a nation trying to re-establish its liberty. You must forgive me for my voice. My current illness has removed some of it. Thank you, Gareth. Just before I bring Nathalia in, can I just quickly ask David, there's a lot of questions in the chat and on social media asking where we can, they can see a copy of this man. Oh, yes. Friday. 
Right, it's quite, it's on Facebook. If you go onto Facebook and just type in the at sign and manifesto 2021, it'll take you to our Facebook page that we set up specifically to distribute the document and you can see it there. It's also all over social media. I think it will be published in the next couple of days on a number of the other um, yes, promoting uh, websites. So I think it'll get it, it'll get pretty well spread. I mean, there's ten points in it. It's really I can go through it later on if they want me to. Because it's ten simple steps. Um, and in fact, everything that Gareth has just said. Not only do I think, what are we waiting for? You know, we are waiting for permission. We're never going to get permission now. Um, you know, when we look at how. The, we got a referendum in 2014. We got one because the unionists thought it was a sure deal they were going to win. We only had 23% support. It ended up at 45%, and they threw everything, including the kitchen sink at us, uh, or promised all sorts of things, which, of course, haven't been delivered. And Gareth is absolutely right about that last point. The moment we voted in Scotland in the Brexit referendum to remain, and England decided to ignore the express democratic will of the people of Scotland was the moment that they destroyed the union. The act of union was torn into and destroyed. It doesn't exist anymore because the act of union made it very clear. We never gave up our sovereignty. We never gave up the rights to our laws. Uh, Scotland, that is part of the union. We went into that union with England. England's a completely different system. Their sovereignty, if you remember Nigel Farage and his team of Brexiteers, went on and on about making their parliament sovereign. That's what it was all about, parliamentary sovereignty. You'll remember it was that and the big red bus that they drove around in with a lie on it. We, well, shall, we shall take our country back, remember it? Yes, yes. But not you, Scotland. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, yes, they believe in independence. Independence Day. Remember when they got their vote through? It's Independence Day. We've got our country back. You think, which country is that? Um, and uh, but so absolutely, they broke the act of union. We were totally ignored. We were now a homogenous British people. The British people have spoken. We're going to have a red, white and blue Brexit. I mean, all this total sloganism, total meaningless non non nonsense. And nobody up this end of the country, no one here in Scotland stood up and said, uh, no, you don't. Uh, we entered a union which was a, a union of equals. We did not give up our sovereignty. We didn't hand it to you for you to administer it. It's still ours. So the people of Scotland are sovereign. There is no question about this. It's perfectly legal and it's internationally recognised. And it goes back, and I had a little bit of a laugh because uh, in the last two days we had to go through all the facts and figures and the dates and pick the ones that we thought were important. And uh, Scotland became a nation in 892 AD when there was a King Donald II made King of Scots. I made a little stupid joke about it. I didn't know we had a McDonald's back then. But anyway, there you go. Um, and of course, it's been reinforced since then in 1320 and in 1689. And then even much more recently, if we ever needed another uh, line underlining that we are already independent and already in charge of our own future. The claim of right was agreed in the House of Commons on the 4th of July, 2018. Now that's not the first time it's happened, but that's the most recent time. So what are we waiting for? 
we are already in charge of our own destiny. We just have to tell a party to insert a specific statement in their manifesto <coughs> and we all vote for it. Hence why I sent the document to for, uh, overseas politicians because we need international recognition on the 7th of May. And then, hey, presto, there's a hell of a lot of work to be done. That's right, yes. Thanks very much, David. Can I bring Nathalia in now? <laughs> uh, I just want to comment about the international recognition because I think it's important to not limit uh, what we are doing here in Scotland to only the European Union. Uh, I'm not saying to not dialogue with the European Union, but also to dialogue with the rest of the world. Otherwise, Scotland will be just one more European country that is trying to take advantage of the rest of the world. So people will see Scotland with the more friendly eyes if Scotland starts to dialogue with the rest of the world, especially the global south. Thanks, Natalia, um, and everybody for their answers there. That's great. So I'm going to bring in a couple of uh, Zoom contributions now. The Alba Mellon with a question, firstly, about the, S the SNP, certainly some of the SNP, about why they're attacking bloggers and activists. That's quite interesting and topical. Uh, and then after that, we've got a question by uh, Thomas MacArthur um, about uh, voting and, and what's best. I'll let them ask them straight away. But before I do, um, Alba, Mellon, if you want to unmute yourself. and Yeah, good man. They've let loose the three amig amigos on us. Angus Robertson, Stuart MacDonald and Alan Smith to hunt us down <laughs> using the main social media and eliminate us. Like we have been trying for years to eliminate all the unionist trolls that have been attacking us. You should know that as well, Neil. Uh, so so what's your opinion on that? But, uh, just a quick one here. Listen to most of you guys talking tonight. I wish I could swap views for SNP leadership because we'd be sitting independent right now. Uh, I'm very I'm very expensive. <laughs> Is that Gareth that was I speaking there? I don't, come, I don't come cheap. <laughs> That's great. Thanks. Thanks You're a good uh, man. Thank, Thanks, thanks guys. John. Brilliant. Thanks, John. That's a good question about uh, why. Why why is there such uh, an approach to, to bloggers and activists online by some in the SNP. So that's interesting. Next up is Thomas. On you go, Thomas. Uh, my question is, like, there's uh, all these new pop-up parties coming on, on the scene. I don't know why they didn't start up in 2014, just after the referendum. I think they might be leaving it a little bit too late at the moment. Um, but like I've been told SNP 1 and 2, but then I've been told that if, even in that state, they get like, half a million votes and you only get four seats, you know what I mean? And uh, they're saying uh, with Alfie and ISP, stuff like that, if you vote for them in your second vote, I'll get the unionists out. So I'm not really sure. I know my first vote is going to be SNP anyway, but it's the second vote that's confusing me now. Like, and that's really what my question is, you know? Thanks, Thomas. So first of all, we'll go to Natalia. To me, it's very strange to have to talk about who I'm voting for because I came from a country where votes is a secret. So I would rather not to ask if I should vote because to me it's something super personal. But I think that um, the, the, the issue is something that I was taught by the, the example of Uruguay, that is a country that had a great success politically of achieving change doing a broad front. 
So I would not be someone that uh, thinks that frown upon other parties that want independence, because I think everybody should have a space to talk about. We don't live in a dictatorship, so it's everybody's <clears throat> right to have their own ideas, expose it, and to vote to whomever you want to vote. Thank you, Nat Natalia. So next up, we'll ask David. David Henry. Well, the two questions. The first question was about um, the media being attacked by people that should probably know better. Um, why is it happening? I think, I think a lot of what's happening um, in the movement generally is actually because of frustration and a lack of focus and a lack of a date to, to coalesce around. I think that's the biggest problem. I mean, I think, um, I think Nicola Sturgeon has done a very good job at steering the party down a certain route. And if you like, not standing on any landmines, um, which in politics for any number of any length of time is pretty amazing. Um, you have to look at some of the terrible things that Theresa May did, you know, going for an, a snap election and it backfiring spectacularly. So we've not had anything like that. But I do think we've been missing um, a positive vision, a focus. And I think it started to happen more than two years ago. I don't think it's her personally. Um, I saw conference being more controlled, more uh, debate wasn't really welcomed. Uh, I think that's, I think that's, we're all poorer when that happens. Um, and I would like to see that finish and end. I'm not afraid of people's opinions. I think um, perhaps this is also a message out, and I know a couple of people that run some of the blogs, and they're very nice folk, and they're very passionate. Um, I think sometimes people react personally to stuff when maybe they shouldn't, um, and that goes to all sides, and therefore you end up with this snowball effect and everybody's at each other's throats. But frankly, I stood in an internal election not that long ago for national secretary, um, and came a very close second. And I, may, I was very determined not to get involved in uh, anything that I thought was controversial or was one-sided. I wanted to be uh, focused on uh, treating everyone with respect and transparency, and that's what I wanted to stick to. And it's very easy to be blown off track because people do fire all sorts of stuff at you on social media, and the smart move is not to reply to it. No matter how angry you get, don't reply to it. I think we need to focus something positive on a date and get round. It's why we've ended up producing this manifesto for Indy, because it's something for people to talk about. It's something for people to rally around. And not everyone will like it. Not everybody will like everything that's in there. There'll be lots of people that want to do it differently. Um, yes, well, fine. But here it's been thrown out there. Let's discuss it get people around yeah. and start working. Uh, and the second question about pop-up parties. Obviously, I'm, I'm in the SNP, so the official line from the SNP is both votes SNP. That's the end of the broadcast. Now, people have to make their own mind up. Is, uh, is there any other legitimate party out there that looks like it could uh, uh, be professionally run uh, how, is going to offer any future or are there people that just think somehow because I tell you what I did a lot of research the last year or two into the voting system 2016 was very interesting 
uh, and not so uh, worldly wise before 2016. But 2016's numbers were very clear. The SNP did very well on the constituency vote in 2016. Pretty certain it will do the same this time. Uh, on the second vote, the list vote, they took 900 953,000 list votes and got just four people elected. The Greens got 150,000 on the second vote and got six people elected. So it clearly does work completely differently for a big party versus a much smaller party. Um, and if you looked at the results from the Scottish Conservatives and Scottish Labour, what was remarkable is the results were very different, yet the number of votes that they got in total were almost exactly the same. The only difference was one party got slightly more on the constituency and so got slightly less on the list. The other one got slightly more on the list and slightly less on the constituency. The result was the Conservatives got 16 elected uh, on the list. So the question is out there. It's, it's a very difficult thing to give you a straight answer on. It depends which area you live in, which region. So it depends who is, is standing there. Um, but I think people should make up their own mind. Ask your politicians, get in touch with them, make up your own mind. It's after all, it's your vote. Thanks, David. Um, Gareth, if you want to answer either or or both of them, both of those uh, questions. Just very briefly, um, uh, agreeing with David, uh, uh, SNP for the constituency vote and another S, uh, independence party for the list vote. Um, democracy is about everybody participating. So I believe what the SNP should have said is, um, well, we want you all to vote for us, but we welcome any new party, any new official properly registered party that is going to help and assist us gain independence. Because it means uh, ultimately fewer Labour and Tory, you know, the unionist parties. You know, the days when we were offered a false democracy, all three parties, the Liberals, the Tories and Labour, were all unionist parties. So we couldn't really change Scotland in any way. We couldn't really uh, create radical progress when they were all pitching for Westminster and England's interests and agenda. But now that the SNP here is here, um, the, uh, we have a choice. And you'll notice how the older parties throw their hands up in the air. You know, the ones who say they're Democrats, they don't want the SNP. You know, we don't, we don't, want a, we don't need another party. Uh, incidentally, there will be more parties for independence quite soon. Uh, of that, I can guarantee. Uh, not just the ones who've already announced. So uh, the public is going to find uh, quite a chance. And um, I've always wished that political parties didn't rely on uh, charismatic leaders. Um, I understand that they do and why they do, but I would rather see um, our, uh, uh, um, our uh, parties, our political parties run by you know, a, a committee of really erudite, clever folk with different specialisms uh, and then they, you know, they, they work together when it comes to press announcements and the like. But unfortunately we have this celebrity thing where 
Um, uh, I can give you an example of that. In the hospital, I got a phone call. Then the, the chief nurse said, this is for you. I didn't ken you were a political person. And I said, well, yes, I'm, uh, I'm that kind of thing. Well, I better tell you now, I've no time for you and Alex Hammond. <laughs> she <laughs> hustled off down the corridor. So, but I've met people who say, uh, you know, who, who actually call Nicola the nippy sweetie, you know, uh, arrogant. Um, um, they dislike her just as much. And I have to keep telling them, forget the personalities. Think about the principle. Think about the ideals. Think, think about how you can transform your a whole existence. So to me, there's only two important things for Scotland. Uh, the first is regaining our nationhood as we had it for uh, hundreds of years, one of the oldest countries in the world, a thousand, uh, you know, right back for a thousand years. And the second, even more important goal is to find ways of handling climate change. Scotland is in a tremendously good position geographically, uh, topographically in terms of our mountains and how far from the, how high up from the sea we are because the, the oceans are gonna get taller, get higher um, as the uh, Arctic ice melts. So we are in trouble, but we have lots of water and we're in a very good position to be completely self-sustaining if we can get our farming right um, and the way we grow produce. So those are the two important things. But I can't really handle climate change 100% if we're not independent because there will be continuous interference from London. And they do it very easily. They just withdraw money. They don't give us any of our money back again. You know, it's, um, it's uh, you know, we live under that tyranny of another country governing us. And uh, colonials don't govern the country because they are a charity. They govern the country because they want to exploit its resources <laughs> and its people. Yeah, same from Roman times. As soon as um, Rome began to implode, off it went across the Mediterranean to uh, take over a, a little country there that didn't have the right weapons to uh, look after itself to defend itself. And uh, then they realized, the Romans, that uh, they had to leave soldiers there. They had to leave supervisors there. We call them placemen. You know, they had to put people in positions of power and that cost money. Um, but still, they got the uh, bulk of the uh, uh, produce that was grown in that country. They managed to get uh, any number of slaves working for the Roman Empire. But uh, there came a point where it became very costly. So they needed to invade another country in order to uh, extract exactly the same benefits. And that's the British Empire, um, which still assumes Scotland as part of, part of that entity. So to be autonomous is absolutely critical and urgent. And we have to do that not just for our human rights, but to be beat this massive 
cataclysmic event that's coming our way, where even the flora and the fauna, who have had nothing to do with man's follies, will die off. We need to be an independent country to handle that for our own people. Well said, Gareth. Um, so lastly, Marion, what, what do you think of those two questions? Uh, the first one, to, to repeat them, was why are, why are some prominent high-profile SNP figures, parliamentarians, attacking people in the Yes movement online and bloggers? And the second question was, um, what do you think about is the best way to for people to cast their votes at this election? Is SNP one and two the best? Or um, is, it, is, it, is it more advantageous for independents to give your vote to... Uh, a list party. So what do you think? Thanks, Neil. Um, first, I'd like to say hello to Big John, who I haven't seen since the last March in Edinburgh, and it's good to see him here with us tonight. And his question is a good one. Why are SNP elected members basically waging an all-out war against anybody who dares to speak out against their actions? And I think it's a really important thing that we need to address because it is certainly not what we expect of the people we elect to represent us. <clears throat> can you imagine uh, Martin? Can you imagine Martin Luther King saying, um, "I've got a good speech that I want to give," uh, so call in all the press. Um, I've entitled it "I Have a Dream." <laughs> See those uh, sons of bitches who've been on the internet and who follow us in marches, I don't want associated with them. Keep them well away. They'll alienate my entire audience. Can you imagine them saying that? I mean, it's but, just so stupid. Uh, but that's well, part me. of the British state's attack on our right of participation. And what they're saying is, including, including uh, the Comfy Slipper uh, Brigade in the SNP, that it's the people who are the problem. Well, <laughs> no. You guys have been there too long. You can't tell the difference anymore. We elected you. You are our representatives. We gave you a bond of trust. So if you're not listening to us, we will elect someone else. Mm -hmm. Well, you're very right there, Gareth. Slippery Pete and his wee <laughs> gang of um, extremists. I'm going to call them extremists because their actions are nothing short of extreme. The way that they have actually... And, and, and it does extend to that other um, black subject that we, we were trying to avoid in the gender issue. There seems to be this agreement in the hierarchy of the SNP that it's perfectly acceptable to take to social media and or orchestrate, because that's what happens when you're a person of power. People listen to you, people follow you, and people are influenced by your words and by your deeds. And when you take to social media and you are basically spearheading a campaign against the likes of yourself, Gareth, Barhead Boy, Wings, Jagget, and yourself, Neil, you've taken a fair old pelting over the years as it happens. You know, when this comes from elected members, it's a very serious problem. Um, for us within the, the, the kind of more active end of the, the movement, but it has a knock-on effect. And I'm going to go back to what Natalia was saying earlier about um, the, the influence that, um, or sorry, the, the way that a lot of international immigrants in Scotland feel 
put off by the language of our discourse on social media, the way that we attack each other, the way that we tear each other down. That's so off-putting in general. So to have our MPs and our MSPs spearheading this behaviour, it begs belief and it needs to bloody well stop pronto. This side, the, the, the election, if, if, if the leadership can't get it under control, it is going to continue to cause much more division, many more ructions, and it is going to make it so much harder for people to put their ex beside that box in May. For the majority of people out with the SNP bubble, it very much is a, a situation where they're holding their nose to vote this, this time round. And in putting the ex beside the SNP, it is done almost grudgingly, if not absolutely grudgingly, because there are faults within the party. They have run unchecked, and this is this is a point I think that we all need to be aware of. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And the SNP have had absolute power for far too long in terms of um, their sway over the independence movement. And, and that's, I suppose you could say that's our fault because we let it happen, but we did so in good faith. We, yeah, we did, we did it in good faith and we shouldn't beat ourselves up about it because there are high hierarchy members of the SNP who are actually just a bunch of tubes who should know better, who should be able to conduct themselves better because you know what? They get paid a hundred grand a year to watch their P's and Q's and to treat people with a bit of dignity and respect. And if they can't treat their own support with that dignity and respect, including their nice fancy salaries that they all enjoy, then they shouldn't be in their position. But the real problem that we've got is our votes are held hostage to the SNP right now. We don't have a choice. Well, I suppose we do have a choice. We can choose not to vote or spoil our ballot. We can choose to only give a second vote to, to a smaller party. Or, you know, the choice is that we grin and bear it and we put our ex beside the SNP, even though it, it, it galls a lot of people to do exactly that. But it's fear. It is fear that drives these attacks because... The reality is, without people like you, Gareth, without Barhead Boy, without Wings Over Scotland, a lot of people would be in the dark about what's actually going on in, in the Scottish Parliament because most people show up on the date they're told to. They make an X in the box. They don't all go out and knock doors, make phone calls, deliver leaflets. That, that's, that's a small portion of our movement. So... <laughs> We're not doing ourselves any favours by allowing the SNP's fear of losing their absolute power to, to destroy a movement that was built on putting more differences aside for the common good, for the common goal. And I think it was it David said earlier about we, we, we are seriously lacking in, in obvious leadership. We are lacking somebody to put their head above the parapet and go, I'm going to be your Pied Piper, follow me. Yeah. And we will do whatever they throw at us, but we're doing it anyway. And that has been something that's been sadly missing. And I think John will agree, wherever he is, his screen's disappeared for mine, but I think John will agree, to me, agree with me on this, is that we've lost that ability 
since 2014 to just be bold and say, we're doing it anyway. That's how the Yes Movement succeeded. We didn't wait for permission. We didn't wait for somebody to direct how we could do it. We got up, people across Scotland got up on a Saturday morning with no training, no expertise, and went and stood in street corners with a Yes flag and went, I think independence is good for Scotland. Come and talk to me about it. And I will try and convince you by the power of my argument. And we went from 23% to 45%. And that was never supposed to, to happen. We were never supposed to get that far. And it was done by the people, not the politicians. The politicians took a back seat. It was you, it was me, it was the people who took their own time to do the legwork. And that is what the SNP have lost sight of when they go attacking independence bloggers and independence supporters who don't necessarily toe the party line. Mary, can I just, I didn't say that uh, we haven't had that. I, th I think what I said was that we are, we are lacking, uh, if you like, uh, the vision. And I think mm -hmm. we need the vision. Um, all I would say, and I've, it's how I conduct myself on social media, so I've managed to avoid most of the scandals. Uh, I don't really pay that much attention to some of it because I don't think it's important. I think everyone needs to sit and think before they send something out. Uh, do mm -hmm. you think this is going to help win uh, more support or do you think this turns people off? Because if this is how we're, we're acting within ourselves and we're mm -hmm. all meant to be on the same side, Mm -hmm. um, then who, who needs the unionist media against us if we can do it all on our own? So I, yeah, think we, I think it's become about because we've not had something to focus on for six years. And instead of having something to focus on and deliver, I think we've, to, be grant, to be fair to the current leadership of the party, we have had a few things through hand grenades thrown at us, which weren't expected two snap elections, Brexit, which went the, the wrong way and nobody thought was going to happen. Um, these things have now been thrown at us that probably we would be in a different position if they hadn't happened, but they have. Um, and I think we've had um, leadership that was very careful and steering the boat to avoid the rocks. And that's fine. However, in this position that we're now in, we're now, unfortunately, a victim. Brexit has been forced upon us. We're losing jobs. It's damaging our economy. It's not what we voted for. And uh, we I don't know if anyone... From, we're blocked from trading yeah. to the West, <clears throat> Ireland, and to the East, <clears throat> Europe. So we're back in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. the well, we were, weren't we independent then? Right back to the 1700s. <laughs> and, they're, and they're still using the same arguments. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ab you will be a foreigner if you leave the United Kingdom. Yeah. I mean, how ludicrous is that? Yeah. But everything yeah. that's being said here is based on a lack of leadership, a lack of somebody taking the lead and giving people something to focus about. And I would have to be honest and say, David, that I don't think... The party was caught unawares by Brexit. I think they knew it was coming because I remember campaigning in 2014 and warning people that Brexit was a very real possibility. Mm. It didn't really come as a surprise. The only thing that came as a surprise was that we were actually bold enough to just do it. And here's the thing about that. Their referendum was the same 
process in the same setup as what we our process would be if we turned me into a plebiscite. They didn't seek permission. They didn't need any legal definition to hold their plebiscite referendum. They did it, but they used their power in gov government to use the result that they wanted to achieve their goal. Exactly the same as what we would do if we could get a plebiscite in May. It would be an option for people. Yeah, plebiscite's an option. But if the result comes in that we want, our government would have the right to pursue that result if it went our way. And that's exactly how Brexit came about. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Before we uh, move on, I think Suzanne's got another couple of folk to bring in. I do, yes. Um, can we bring in Jim and Jim Barlow and Scott Davis? If you can both unmute and come in to ask your questions. We'll start Edinburgh, off with Jim first. I, I keep thinking you're going to bring in the pandas from Edinburgh Zoo. <laughs> not, not tonight, no. <laughs> How many people have you got lined up out there? There's, there's still, there's still a few hands up there. We've got a wee while to go, so we'll have to try and get through as many as we can. Okay. So if we can bring Jim in first. Thank you. Yes, comrades. Um, much of this discussion in the last hour is focused on the question of uh, the Scottish government, Scottish Parliament, uh, the May elections, who we should vote for, etc., etc. But I would, I want to really kind of agree with Natalia, who at the start of this uh, this meeting spoke about uh, a Nicaraguan leader who said politics is won in the streets, and I agree with that. I agree with the idea that if you want to change society and change anything. You need people on the streets, but not just on the streets. I think we have to go further than that. We have to say that the streets is important. And I've been on the streets, like lots of people uh, who are on this call tonight. 100,000 in Edinburgh, uh, tens of thousands in Dundee, where I, where I live, uh, demanding independence, fighting for independence, all under one banner. And I have to say that now in Scotland, we actually have another organisation called Now Scotland. I don't know how many people tonight are on. Uh, and we didn't know what the panellists think about Now Scotland, because Now Scotland are arguing that on the streets and in the trade union movement is where we can actually change things. And I believe that if we really want to make uh, independence for Scotland, that we have to focus on the streets and focus on the trade union movement. And I know that Now Scotland, as a new organisation, which is a membership organisation, uh, want to focus on that particular aspect, on the streets and in the trade unions. And I think, you know, we, we've, we know that civil disobedience is a possibility. Many people are... I've marched from one part to another in Dundee and one part mm. to another all over Scotland. I'm tired of doing that. I think we need much more than just marching. We need the civil disobedience. We need to be saying... We're not paying this. We're not paying that. We're going to march here and we're going to stop the streets. We're going to stop the streets for hours and we're going to stop everything that actually matters. And the key to doing this also is within the trade union movement and focusing on their power in the factories. Because if they stop factories, the bosses in Scotland and England don't make money. Leave it there, Colin. Thank you very much, Jim. I like that passion. Can we bring Scott in next for his question yeah, as well? Can I just add that uh, Jim's a very good demonstration of some supporters being more intense in their expression, mode of expression than others. And when it comes to things like wings, they should put that into practice. We can't all be super cool and uh, uh, intellectual. Uh, sometimes it's important to move from dissent to resistance and that's what Jim has just explained, and I agree with him entirely. 
Thank you, Gareth. Scott, can we have your question? Yeah, no problem. Just a quick one here. Um, just to say, Jim, before um, I agreed, especially the first part in terms of uh, all under one banner and the idea that, you know, change happens in physical spaces and it is hard with the pandemic at the moment, but, um, you know, all, all these arguments uh, that we're seeing on, on, on social media and, and stuff, you know, when people enact local democracy in person, you know, I think, uh, I think, people are less likely to, to be so polemic. So, you know, I think this type of stuff can happen in the streets, physically, in assemblies, person to person, and hopefully we can get back to that sooner the better with the pandemic stuff. Um, just a quick question to David Henry is, um, of course, your, you know, strategies for independence. We're looking at, SMP has so many active activists and members. Uh, Obviously, if, if, if the argument is that Nicola Sturgeon and everyone is, uh, is too, um, uh, too involved, too caught up in uh, COVID uh, fighting and all the rest of it, uh, what are the groups of people who are SNP members? Like, are they strategizing for independence? Uh, you know, the, the, these white papers and things should be coming from the grassroots anyway. It should be through dialogues and consultations uh, with party membership. You know, is this happening at all? And if not, I think that's a kind of sign that um, nothing's being delegated beyond kind of SNP central office at the moment. Well, thank you I, much, Scott. Bring you in, David, to answer right, that point. To answer, since you've specifically asked me about um, what, if anything, is happening in the SNP. Well, the SNP's obviously got a lot, a lot of members uh, with lots of different expertise. I am aware that there has been a bit of a sea change with our NEC. Uh, following the November election, and that's to be welcomed. Not sure it's quite operating the way I would have liked to have seen it, um, but uh, it's early days. Uh, the new convener for policy development, there's been a change there because it certainly will come as no surprise that nothing much happened in the last 12 months. Uh, that is put down to the fact COVID did, has affected us and therefore there hasn't been any physical meetings happening. Um, however, I happen, I happen to think it's exactly why uh, someone like me and others have come together every Saturday night in a group uh, about the Constitution. It started about talking about the Constitution. And I, I don't know how actually who came up with the idea that we really need to get some form of draft manifesto. How on earth? And so that's what's been happening for the last quite a few weeks. Uh, a panel of people have met, discussions have happened. Uh, drafts have been sent backwards and forwards, and we've now got the document. We've launched it. It's gone out there. We've sent it to every single MSP. Every Scottish MP has got it too. Uh, we've sent it to all councillors. Um, so it will be being discussed over the next week. Uh, the idea is now that everyone else can read it. You get round it. You make you pull your own people together. You discuss it. Uh, it's not that radical, really. It is, it is a leap in the dark to a certain degree, which is that we are saying we're not, we're not going down this route with Section 30. Forget it. Uh, uh, the Scotland Act, somebody's asked me questions earlier about, oh, but how does this impact the Scotland Act? The Scotland Act doesn't exist after the 6th of May. It doesn't exist <laughs> because the Scotland Act uh, is about devolution. Devolution doesn't exist after the 6th of May either. Now you've got to put everything else in place. 
I'm not going to say it's going to be easy because it won't be easy. It'll be a hell of a lot of work for an awful lot of people. The two-page plan, which you can, as I say, download, it's got 10 points in it. One of them is we recall all our MPs immediately and we task them with working here in Edinburgh uh, because we're going to have to have laws put in place. We're going to have to start doing trade deals with Europe, you name it. All that is there to be done. So what is happening? Lots of people are meeting and discussing things. I know that there's the finance and currency group. They've been meeting on a regular basis. You'll find them at Tim Rideout. He's got quite a lot of experts that have been uh, feeding into that. So it's not fair to say nothing's been done. There is things being done. Um, and I sent this yesterday because I have had discussions online with Keith Brown who's our deputy leader, and uh, I sent that to him and said it would be coming to him just before it goes, becomes live. We hope that it, I hope, and if the, one, if the one thing that comes out of this is we could get the SMP to accept that one sentence and maybe agree to number one and two, which is international recognition, which I believe would happen almost immediately. If we'd done a proper democratic vote, there's no reason why a country like Ireland or Malta or or any of the European countries won't immediately say we recognize the legitimacy of what people have just voted for. Bingo. You've now got your sovereignty. It's recognized. Now you've got the hard work of probably, I mean, we've said two, two years transition period. The idea started by saying, why are we looking at this currently of trying to get permission to hold a referendum um, which has already been refused several times. Why do you think they're going to change their mind? There's no logic why they would change their mind. Um, so why are we trying to do that? Why aren't we doing what Brexit did? Brexit was created by people with not a single bit of work of a plan. They just came along and launched a campaign and claimed, told everybody that you'll save £350 million a week. They run, went around the country with a big bus, it wasn't true. That didn't stop them saying it. People voted a majority in the UK as a whole um, to jump off a cliff not knowing what the plan was. There was no plan. There was no white papers. There was no nothing. If, if anybody watched it like I did the next morning and saw Michael Gove and Boris Johnson be at the press conference being told they had won and the look of shock on their faces thinking, oh, God, what are we going to do now? Because they didn't think they were going to win. Now, look at the mess they've made. <laughs> Farage knew, uh, David, quite well yeah. that one of the worst qualities of the English uh, is their distrust of what they call Johnny Foreigner and intellectuals. Mm -hmm. He knew that was still there, latent. And he exploited that together with... Uh, the white English's uh, uh, complaints about too many areas, Bradford and the like, becoming Pakistani and all Indian. And where is the, uh, where are English values gone? You know, where is, where is English gone, our culture? So he exploited that to the full. He did exactly what Trump did. He whipped up that xenophobia and built on it. And uh, it got him over the line. Uh, personally, um, I really think he should be imprisoned. But unfortunately, he's got a regime in Parliament at Westminster who think he's a hero.
can I say though, Gareth, I happen to think that Boris Johnson is a great recruiter for Scottish independence. If anything uh, re underlines why we need to take control of our own country, it's because of people like him. Well, I agree, but that's a negative. We have to tell people in Scotland the positives, which is what the SNP has not done because it's been chasing severely flawed amateur policies uh, for tiny percentages of society. Uh, we have to concentrate on that. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll try and give you the edited version. We know now that the uh, Vietnamese war was totally illegal. It was illegal when it was happening. The Americans carpet bombed it on the theory of uh, the communist domino effect. If, you know, if, if we didn't wipe out an absolutely beautiful country of peasants who lived off the land, then the march of uh, Mao Zedong and communism would just come towards America uh, one day or take over Europe. Um, they carpet bombed it and dropped uh, uh, pesticides, which are still affecting people. Mothers still giving birth to children who have no arms or legs. The, the things the Americans did were absolutely terrible. And Nixon got elected on the basis that he was going to withdraw troops. It was unpopular by then. There were so many American uh, males refusing to be uh, part of the army, uh, refusing to be recruited, including the great Muhammad Ali, of course. Uh, and uh, it wasn't, he said in his own diary, uh, Richard Nixon, it was not until he saw the overwhelming numbers in marches until um, uh, uh, at least three people set fire to themselves like monks did in mm. Vietnam. Um, the woman who leapt off the top of a tall building in protest killed herself. It wasn't until those became uh, severe resistance that he realized he had no choice. And he admits he would never have stopped the bombing. He would have increased it if it were, was not for that massive resistance. So, yes, that's exactly what we need to do in Scotland, but not kill ourselves. <laughs> we, need, we need everybody here to uh, resist the onset of um, <clears throat> Boris Johnson's um, dream of a new empire. Thank you, Gareth. Can we bring Nathalia in? Because our, the first person to ask a question, Jim mentioned how much you had inspired him. So I wanted to know if there was anything that you wanted to say on what he had asked. By getting out onto the streets. Yes, I would like to say, uh, just following what Garrett said about like Scotland uh, being a country that people are wishing for the independence because to make us read of Boris Johnson, I think we deserve better than this. <laughs> Honestly, all the hard work that people here are doing, we deserve more than just, oh, they are having a bad breakup with the Tories. Like we, we need more. And that's why it's so important to have initiatives like now Scotland, because some people feel put off when they have to be party members. Not everybody wants to be a party member. Some people are scared to be party members, especially now the immigrant community. Some have terrible experience in their homelands. So 
it's important to have something that is popular, that is solely talking about independence, because I'm generally someone that does not believe that you have, you cannot polarize a subject, but independence is something that should not be polarized. It's independence because we need independence. Um, I believe that politics is popular, politics is passion, and there is nothing that can be more passion than to find your own freedom, to fight for emancipation. So I think it's, it's a, a, a worth cause to everybody to be engaged with. So uh, that's why I think, of course, I understand the pandemic, but I think that the movement, the in a proper independence movement will not be made within uh, posh rooms and in the parliament will be made by people in the streets and within trade unions, between the factories, within the migrant communities and the, the poorest neighborhoods. I agree. The people yeah. who lost out in September 2014 were the working class in Glasgow and Dundee, the very people who voted for Scotland's independence, the people we think are not fully informed these were the people who stood up and said, yeah, you know, let's run our own country again, not because we hate our next door neighbor, but because we want to be on equal terms and we want to live the lives um, as we set our values and our culture. So yeah, the working class were the ones um, who uh, uh, lost out. And I have to tell you, um, I feel ashamed that I live in the capital of Scotland where people rioted in the streets and set fire to houses in 1707 because they were not given the vote. They didn't want to uh, join a union. But in 2014, Edinburgh voted to stay in the United Kingdom. But then you know, we're full of lawyers here and they don't know any better. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Come on, Marion, have you got anything to add to this? <laughs> well, actually, Gareth has opened a wee door for me to make a point about one of the reasons why I'm here and why I'm, I'm still a, an activist and campaigner for independence. I am the working class person who worked hard, harder than I can ever really describe to anybody in 2014. And I'm from Western Bartonshire, where we voted yes and we won. We delivered on the promise that we made to the people here and we delivered that yes and I know how good it feels to hear that officer say you made the grade and we sang that night and we cried and we celebrated because the hope was something that you cannot imagine to get that result and hope because there was still a chance at that point it's an indescribable feeling and, and, and whenever I get low and when I get frustrated and I want to give up, it's that moment that keeps me going. That moment where I heard my presiding officer say, you did it. And I would love, love nothing more than for every single person in Scotland to feel what we felt that night. And all our classes, all our differences, none of it mattered because the one goal was independence. And I'll borrow a quote from another campaigner. The only thing that changes with independence is the power to change everything. And I think we've lost sight of that. 
we've been bogged down in personality politics and party politics and a lot of the comments are right here as I'm reading them coming in. There's been a, a fear attached to, to, to the, the option of civil disobedience. I myself argued against it just a couple of years ago because I genuinely didn't think it was the right time for that level of civil uh, disobedience. My opinion has changed. I think I'm at a point now where come the May election, um, between um, the, 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 this manifesto for India, which I look forward to reading, but this idea that, that's been put around for the plebiscite in May is really important. And I think we should absolutely bombard our politicians and any elected representatives day and bloody night and put the pressure right on them because it is the first stage of the people taking back their power. If the SNP don't listen to us, they will pay the price for it, not in this election, but in the next one. And they need to keep that in mind. The SNP enjoy power because the Yes movement made them powerful. That power can be taken back if they don't deliver. Resides, uh, resides in us. And uh, you should know that Alan Pinkerton, the famous creator of the American detective agency was a garbles man. And he believed in the overthrow of unpopular governments. So um, yeah, yeah, Glasgow has that uh, tradition in its blood. So I'm not surprised that uh, the people of Glasgow overwhelmingly realized where the future lay. It didn't lie with a Westminster government. That's brilliant. Okay, so we're going to get a couple more questions in from Zoom. So first up, we've got Ray Young, and then we've got uh, Chris Cook. So Ray's got a, a few questions, but if you just stick to one of them, the one that stood out to me, Ray, was about uh, the current issues in the, the SNP and, and, and how that has got the potential or, or not to, to split the party and, and derail things. And then we've got Chris Cook. I don't know what your question is, so it's a bit of a surprise, but Chris is fantastic. Just like just to uh, interject before my my first question is that surely we all, everybody on this panel, we all want independence for Scotland. So surely we all should be focused on the SNP for that vote. I know there'll be some grumbling somewhere along there, but SNP are the only way for that independence vote. Now I have a number of questions. The the questions. I'm ex-army, I'm ex-British army, and I can give you my, my spiel as to why I fell into um, the SNP independence uh, vote, but uh, I don't think I've got enough time for that. But my questions are, is, is um, do you think the stushy, if it is a stushy, I don't know if it's a stushy or not, I don't know, but there seems to be a fallout between Alec, Nicola and Joanna. There seems to be a party fallout there, and there's going to be uh, rumblings next week on that. You think that this is going to split the party, and will this affect our vote for independence? The, the next question is, what will armed forces be like in an independent Scotland? And the third question is, what is the currency going to be like for an independent Scotland? It's a big question. I know we're at, I'm the treasurer of my local branch in Grangemouth, and we are fully understand. The, the buoyancy of the economy of Scotland, and we're fully in buoyant. We've got all this uh, great uh, uh, drinks, and um, well, the the fish the fish is kind of kind of falling apart a bit, eh? But we, we clearly are a buoyant economy. We can survive, but we need to 
I need to sell this to people that, uh, you know, uh, and what would but that economy be? Uh, is it, so there's a question. And if you want me to, to, to sell you my, my view, my journey to an independent supporter, I can do that, but obviously that's not the question. So love you guys. That's, all the best. that's great. Thanks, Ray. So a question that's brilliant. There's quite a lot there, obviously. So panelists can have a rethink in that for a moment. Chris Cook next, if you want to um, answer yeah. ask your question, please. Well, it's about strategy because we're here to discuss strategies for independence. And everything that I've heard is about the assumption that we're going to have top-down independence, that we're going to go from you know, Westminster down to Holyrood, and we all see how top-down policy making is. Very few people contribute to it. Now, I believe that West Lothian questions have West Lothian answers. And I believe very strongly that independence can be achieved in parallel. So irrespective of what we're doing in terms of getting out there and demonstrating and getting political independence, which I'm entirely in favor of, entirely in favor of, it is also possible, as we see now, post-COVID, mutual aid breaking out all over locally. Right? It's mutuality, solidarity is so much more evident in Scotland than it is down south, which you can tell from, you know, that's where I'm from. So I propose energy independence, housing independence, food independence, care independence. All of these independences are achievable bottom up if we look at the financial matters in terms of mutual credit creation, mutual investment at local level. I used to work in the city. I'm better now. I'm a, an expert on, on I'm an expert on resilience, et cetera, et cetera. And what and what Gareth said, what Gareth said about climate change, hugely interested in that. My core competence is in energy. Just look at the map of Denmark, Gareth, in 1990, and look at it in 2014. And it's gone from big red spots where all the generators were. I call that the national grid. It looks like measles has broken out because they've basically distributed and decentralized power right the way and, and, and heat right throughout Denmark. And they did that through strategic approach to policymaking, Gareth. Energy independence is resilience, is security, is bottom-up independence. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the SNP party have gathered in power and... Uh, although some of my readers are disappointed, I've never asked for Nicholas Sturgeon to uh, step down. I think um, I think that's a party uh, issue, and uh, we will have to see what happens with the um, trials and tribulations over the hunting of Alex Salmond. But I uh, have, in the last few years, considered she's um, well out of her depth. And uh, that's why I asked for her to step aside, carry on the role with uh, uh, the COVID pandemic, see to other business. Uh, the last I heard was about three weeks ago that she had set up uh, a unit for independence. Um, unfortunately, whoever she put on it, I uh, can't remember except for one Italian Scot uh, who seemed to me to be uh, a nice guy, but not much else, not really qualified. So I'm trying to agree with you uh, wholeheartedly that power has to be devolved from Edinburgh out to all the areas. We have some problems, you know, such as Aberdeen, 
and uh, uh, part of uh, the Orkneys and uh, Shetlands. Thanks, Gareth. Um, okay, so who should we go to next? Marion, do you want to speak? And uh, I can just ask everybody because we're running out of time here a wee bit, so it's impossible to answer every question that came up there. There's so much. I mean, currency, you could probably talk on that for ages, so try and limit it to maybe about three or four minutes, please, everybody. All righty. I will start with the first part of Ray's question about the split in the, the leadership right now. Personally, my feeling is that both Nicola and Alec have been stitched up by their own people. It may be a controversial view, but they are human beings. They are not immune to such actions. And as much as we held them in pedestals, I think it's entirely possible that there have been some knives put in a lot of backs, regardless of whose back it is. These three people that you've mentioned, Alec, Nicola and Joanna, they're they're particularly vulnerable to attack because they're so good at what they do. They put their heads above the parapet and they make themselves targets regardless of, of what they're saying. They, you know, they could say the sky is blue and people would tell them it's pink just for the sake of doing so. Regards to split the party, we have a chance to stop it from happening. But the only way to do that is if somebody, namely, and I'm going to just be blunt about it, Keith Brown is the biggest disappointment for me. He was appointed independent sir when he was appointed deputy leader of the party. And from my end, from what I know, he's done absolutely nothing to really work the, the, the situation, create an environment where people can get involved and focus their attentions. And I believe that if he would step up and do his job, there would be an opportunity for members of the party and supporters of independence to come together. And it wouldn't matter about the personality politics going on behind the scenes. It would be back about us, back about the important issue, the focus on independence, and yes, to, to, to an extent, good governance, good record of governance in, in, in Scotland. But, but really, it's about getting the focus back on the end goal. Because like I said earlier, the, the, the thing that changes with independence is the power to change everything. Now, forces. What will forces look like in an independent Scotland? Well, they'll look the same as they do in every other country. There'll be some. We'll use the likes of the Edinburgh Barracks for the Army. We'll use Fastlane for the Navy. We'll use Lossie Mouth for the Air Force. The infrastructure exists. Why do we need to overcomplicate the situation? All we would be doing is changing the name on the door. And instead of the United, the British Army, it would be the Scottish Army. There's really so much bluff and bluster put about about this. And it's as straightforward as that. When it comes to currency, I'm going to steal the show here and say, we will use whichever currency you want to buy your goods in. Because that's the reality of our world today. We don't need a pound. We don't need a euro. We don't need kroners. It's digital. It's a nonsense argument. We, uh, we print our we own money. We print our own whatever money. we want to. We'll use our own money. Yeah, we, print we our have money. our own Scottish pound, exactly. It's long established. It predates the Union. It is written up by Scottish silver and a few other things. The, the Bank of England have, on two occasions now, conceded that Scotland is a perfectly wealthy nation with cracking resources. We really do not need to worry about the issue of currency. It is an absolute red herring. You will buy our goods 
and we will deal in whatever you want to offer us to pay for them, except in sheep and stuff. I mean, we're, we've moved on for trading camels. We expect a digital currency, but it can be done. And I think that that pretty much sums up my answer there. Thank you, Marion. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. Okay, David, you're next. I, I, it made me laugh. I think it was Ray that had some of these questions because they weren't exactly small subjects. <laughs> uh, on the armed forces, I think, uh, and I have no insight into what the SNP thinks is policy, but some of the research that I did, one, I think it would be a much more uh, streamlined uh, facility because we don't need uh, some of the things that we, the, the British Armed Forces has. We're not really a warmongering nation. We're much more of a peacemaking nation. Uh, so I think it might be called the Scottish Defence Force. Obviously, we have a need for some Navy because we have enough, an awful lot of uh, water to patrol and to protect. But the one thing that I think that would be different, uh, currently we pay £3.5 billion a year to Westminster for our share of defence spending from Scotland. But only £1 billion of that is actually spent in Scotland. So we are subsidising the rest of the UK by two and a half billion. So I don't think we'd be spending that, which then brings me back to something which you didn't touch on and no one else actually today uh, has touched on. What are we getting independence for and why is it going to be better than what we've currently got? I think one of the main things, and I, I did vote for this at conference and I did some research and I didn't get to speak on it, is the state pension. And I'm very pleased to see that there's a a campaign now out there in the public. The state pension is the worst state pension in the whole of Europe. The UK is not a success story. It's the worst pension in Western Europe, in fact, in the whole of Europe. So it doesn't take too much for the independent Scotland to offer a better pension than what is being paid to its pensioners at the moment from Westminster. So I think that is something that we need to be, one, pushing and also showing, let's not do a Labour Party, Let's show how we afford it. Well, we afford it straight away by saving two and a half billion on the defence, which we won't be paying. Then there was another two things that I calculated we won't be paying. So you ask what, 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 what's it going to be like afterwards? We're not going to be paying two and a half billion extra for, for the defence. We're not going to be paying towards HS2. We're not going to be paying towards uh, cross rail in London. And we're not going to be paying uh, to renew Trident. Funny enough, you add all them up, you find out you can not only afford to double the pension for all pensioners, but you've got some money spare. So that's one of the things. You said about currency. What currency? I don't really have a strong view on currency. I've been very impressed with the work by the currency group, which is uh, Tim Rideout. Um, and he's got economists on that. And I've, I've looked at it. And I, I'd be perfectly happy to have a Scottish pound and a Scottish central bank. Um, I'd also be perfectly happy to adopt the euro. I don't care what the piece of paper is. Um, so I don't think we have much to worry about when it comes to currency. And will uh, people trade with us? Well, somebody mentioned about energy, housing. Right. Uh, energy, we export energy, all types, electricity, gas, oil. Scotland exports energy. Um, and in fact, if you were to cut off the national grid, to cross the border, England can't keep its lights on. So I think you'll find they'll be quite happy to trade with us. And they will have to trade with us in the currency that we trade in. So that, this goes well, without saying. We'll have to tell Boris that he, he won't even get a light on in a fridge. 
<laughs> well, yeah, yes. Oh, but he's, got a, he's got an oven ready deal for that, like everything else. Um, so about this, and then the last question was uh, about the squishy in the party and fallout and what will it Im impact? Well, if we're not careful, yes, it will impact on the election and that would be a great shame, I think. Um, the whole point of coming up with something positive that people can go and look at, read, argue about, discuss, and then uh, push uh, uh, and coalesce around is to give people something positive to talk about and to look at. Um, on housing, I think, so I disagree completely with Chris Cook on the idea that we can get independence by doing it but sector by sector. I don't agree. You cannot do it like that. Because to go down that means you're stuck in the union with Westminster and they've got controls over just about everything. We only control 15% of our tax take. They control 85%. So how on earth are you going to control all these different sectors that you think you're going to be able to do? So I believe um, we do need to take this uh, approach. I think we need to be bold. And it's been said before, I think, uh, Natalia, you said something about people who now live here who now have a vote. It's extremely important, extremely important that all Scots register to vote. You know, I was very proud and pleased. I helped run our local EU um, campaign here in my part of Edinburgh, in my constituency. And we reached out to the Polish community and we did posters in Polish and we put them in supermarkets and we put out registration forms, postal forms, plus details of the SNP, obviously. And went back, there was none left after the election. They were all gone. They'd all been taken. So that was several hundred had been used. It's very important that people feel empowered. There's no point going out on the streets at grassroots if you haven't bothered to register to vote. You're only going to change things if you vote to change it. By all means, get involved in grassroots activism. But for God's sake, make sure you're registered to vote and actually vote. Thank you, David. Um, now, Natalia, um, if you can remember what the questions were, um, if you want to give us a, an answer towards them, I think there was a few different points, so the floor is yours. Well, there are many things. I'm particularly concerned about like NATO and things like that coming from uh, my political stance is that NATO is horrible, but I think that now we have to, our goal is independence, so we should just keep talking about how to achieve that goal. Uh, I think the rest is, like I said, the rest. And I believe that to make a proper campaign, we have to be involved in the cause and believe in the cause. Otherwise, other people won't believe in us if we don't believe what we are selling. Uh, this is capitalism 101. So I think that if we don't have... Uh, a, assurance of what we are doing, what we are saying, what we want, and putting conditions and like making stories and what ifs in our minds, like, oh, the EU will say that, the Westminster will say this. We, 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 we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball. We can talk about the future. We can analyze, we can guess, but we have to first and mainly to stick with what we want, that is independence. Um, I just want to finish because this is a, a hugely important because I'm someone that is dedicated my whole professional life in building bridges, international bridges of solidarity, of 
companionship between countries and good relationship, which is something that my main, my princess dream, like we say in Brazil, is to make Scotland a country that has a different relationship with the global south, not a, a imperialist or a colonial, um, better than you relationship type of thing. So I just want to finish saying something that is from uh, the bottom of my heart and also from the Americas, uh, Liberador Simon Bolivar, he said that it's easier for a country that is uh, to release a nation from uh, servitude than to enslave a free nation. I think this is something we have to keep in mind before doing anything to achieve independence. Thank you so much for having me here tonight. Thank yeah. you, Natalia. That was a lovely way to finish off that question, wasn't it? That was lovely. Okay, so we're kind of running out of time now, so I'm afraid we won't be able to get any more questions in. However, now we're going to come to our summing up. So each of you will get a few minutes to sum up and we're going to go with Gareth first. Well, I'll be very brief. Uh, no matter the disagreements that have erupted in the Scottish National Party, uh, no matter the things that will be strewn in our path between now and the referendum, which I hope will be incorporated in the election, uh, because uh, an, uh, another uh, Section 30 is just another handing authority over to the Tory party in London, and they will laugh up their sleeves. So all I want to say is that uh, no nation ever rose up to demand its abolition. Independence will arrive. Thank you, Gareth. Um, next, Marion, if you want to, some closing comments. Again, I can keep it very brief. Um, I will remind people that the most important thing we need to hold on to is that with independence comes the power to change everything. That means that we can solve where arguments, petty or otherwise, we can solve where currency issues, and we can do all these things that have held us back all this time. And I support the, the plebiscite in May, and I very much hope that the SNP listen to us and make that happen, because it's a risk-averse choice. They're not committed but it gets us moving forward and it gives the people something to work to and something to offer. Um, and I'll stop there. Thanks. Thank you, Marianne. David. I'll try and keep it brief. <laughs> um, I think, well, the, the, uh, I'm here to try and explain what the Manifesto for India actually wants to happen and what we want you, the voters, and the supporters of whatever political party you're a supporter of, but obviously, especially if you're the SNP. It's now in at every level at the SNP, so they're not unaware of it. Uh, it may not be welcome, who knows? But then again, we may be actually be giving them part of the solution. So the main point, and what we're asking them to accept on the 6th of May, and to be in the manifesto, is that the following statement. So the manifesto for Indy's statement says, the Scottish people assert that the Scottish Parliament is the only Parliament that is empowered to represent the sovereign rights of the Scottish people. If they accept that and that's in there and you've voted for a party that stated that, you have voted for Scotland's uh, sovereign Parliament to be the Scottish Parliament. Westminster doesn't 
get a say. That's it. It's over. Then we state that there should be a two-year transition period. And there's lots and lots of work to do in there. Um, I, would, I would say that we should focus less on the conflict and the internal squabbles or the personalities. And I certainly agree. We've had a lot of personality politics, I think, because our leader, both the previous one and the current one, is very popular, very good on television. Uh, and as a result of that, the party tends to hang its whole raison d'etre on its leadership. And I don't think that's always healthy. So I want to see more people involved. Uh, don't leave it up to somebody else to do it. Make sure you get involved. Make sure you get voting. Because if you don't and you disengage, and then the people that win or the thing that wins is apathy. And if we're apathetic, we may be in for a terrible shock on the 6th of May, uh, a bit like we were a bit of a shock when we had Brexit. So we've, now's the time. Let's do it. Thank you, David. That was great. And lastly, Natalia, I know you gave a kind of summing up comment before, but the floor is yours again. I, I just want to thank everybody. It was very inspirational to hear you all, because as a new Scot, I, it's very humbling to hear you that are people that are dedicating your lives to fight for independence. And I hope that I would not have to spend so much of time fighting, because Hopefully, we will be independent soon. And I will be here to help you to build a proper, progressive, independent Scotland. And we'll be very happy to be with you doing whatever you let me do to support you guys. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of you. I mean, no matter what, um, how we go forward, how how we, you know, how we use the election in May or how we don't use the election in May, I am, I am encouraged just by the fact that there's so many strong voices actually coming out and saying things. I mean, I know that some of you were nervous, Marion, you were nervous because it's your first time, but honestly, you were such <laughs> inspiration. There's people, I mean, I could have, I could have said what you said today. It was just fantastic. Marion was nervous. She was yeah. nervous, she said, yeah, at the start, that's, she was well, nervous. Yeah. If, that's, if that's her nervous, what is she like when she's confident? <laughs> oh, Gareth, that's dangerous territory. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind women leaving me. It's when they walk towards me, I get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wise man indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. And just to also point out all the love that people have been sending to you, Gareth, in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Wishing you well. I mean, it's just, I've been sitting here and I'm so touched by everything that I've seen. I hope you can look at the, the chat list and have a look at what's been said to you. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not my usual colour. My wife noticed it. Uh, she, being a Royal Academician painter and uh, master printmaker, respected the world over as a colourist. She was the first to notice I was not, as she said, Italian brown anymore. I was Indian yellow. And so... Uh, <laughs> I was whisked off to hospital with jaundice. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I know my fate, folks, but um, you know I'll keep fighting until the end. We, no, lovely we thank you, you for Gareth. that, Gareth. We thank, thank you, you very much. Absolutely. We're, we're really happy that you, you were able to attend. We're, you know, we were so worried about you at the start of the week, and we were so pleased that you've got back home. Just send me money. Come. Just send me money. You don't have to send me good wishes. Yeah. <laughs> send me cash. <laughs> Just send me money. <laughs> <laughs>
just spoken like a true Scot. <laughs> like a true Scot. Just send me money. Well, it's all this good wishes stuff. I'm after <laughs> your good wishes. Yeah, yeah. Good wishes don't buy the wine. <laughs> Also, just to say a big thank you to the people that are working behind the scenes tonight. We've got Kevin from Indie Live. We have Gordon and Alison who have done a fantastic job of moderating in the chat tonight and bringing people in and out and unmuting people and muting people. So thank you very much to everybody. Thanks to everybody who attended the Zoom and anybody who is watching on the live stream as well. Thank you so much. Um, it wouldn't be worth anything if you weren't all here, so thank you. And I'll pass you over to Neil now. Thanks, Suzanne. Yeah, and just to reiterate, it's been I've really enjoyed this tonight. It's been really entertaining and educational. And you've all been great panellists. Um, and uh, thanks thank for coming you on. Thank you for your effort, Neil. Um, yeah. I, I will use this moment to tell you. Yeah. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you very much. Um, and so we come to the end of the end of the panel. We we're going to have an article out. All of Banner's got an article out next week in the National, uh, and it's going to be an update about our plans for 2021. Some things are going to have to change from what's built at the moment, uh, but certainly we're going to continue to adapt to the the circumstances, and we'll be hitting the streets as soon as possible um, and letting our elected officials know they need to get the finger out. So. 100%, but that'll be next week. But just to thank everybody tonight, thank the behind the scenes, um, the tech team, Alison, Gordon and Kevin. And we, we're going to launch a series of these panels in a, in a winner uh, soon, get them all up online in the run up to the election. So there's plenty more to come, plenty more. So once again, thanks everybody for tuning in, whether you've taken part in the Zoom meeting um, or if uh, you've just tuned in to one of the live streams. I hope you had a great evening and we'll see you soon.